Warning. 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 Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. Hey, Brad. Did I give you enough to think about? Um, yeah, Brad's uh, been plugging um, plugging some ideas into my mind. I'm trying to just remind you that it's that it's Women's Month. It's Women's History Month. Women's History Month. We only get a month, <laughs> baby. Just a month to you know do all our shit, and uh, you know next year you can find out what we were doing in October or something. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have a really exciting guest lined up for us today. Oh, yeah. A woman who everybody should know her name. She made some history. She made some history for women, especially for black women. Um, and But for all women, not just for black women. And she made her a real impact in fashion. Uh with her own namesake brand and her own boutique. She started a boutique in her home. I want to sew, man. I want to do that. Like, <laughs> can you imagine my husband and my kid? I'd be like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I need just- <laughs> this table. You guys can eat <laughs> on the couch. <laughs> no, but that, I mean, that is, that is a real labor of love to, um, it's a lot. The capital L on labor. Totally. It's a lot of work. But, um, our guest today is April Walker and April Walker came up under Dapper Dan. And for everyone who doesn't know who Dapper Dan is, I mean, get out from underneath <laughs> the rock you crawled under. Um, Dapper Dan is, Sort of this uh, iconic, not sort of, he's this iconic uh, fashion visionary that started making illegal custom co-brands out of leather and and, uh, then moving on to like velour and like tracksuits and stuff like that. Um, Printing his own leather with like Gucci logos, Louis Vuitton. MCM, Nike wasn't making clothing back then, mm-hmm. and they were making these like elaborate Nike velour tracksuits with these huge leather Nike patches. Right. I actually own a bunch of that stuff. Um, it's right up your alley. <laughs> and April Walker saw this going on, and she opened up her own shop and made her own custom shop. And I guess uh, it was, you know. It was so successful that, like, several other people started doing it, too. There was a whole mall uh, on 125th Street. I think it was Mall 125 that had different stalls with tailors that you would go up to. I remember going with a boyfriend at the time when he was going to get his MCM jacket made with his graffiti (laughs) letters. Um, Going up there in the, like, 1989 or 1990, and you would go and pick out. The leather, you know, the brand oh, you really? wanted, right? And you black leather and you put down this stuff and we were making pattern pieces with his like graffiti letters. Um, uh, I wish I had nabbed that jacket from him. Damn, yeah. Damn. Holler at me, Aaron. Damn. Um, <laughs> should have nabbed his letter jacket. Should have na- <laughs> nabbed his leather. But um, Dapper Dan started this whole um, 
sort of, you know, taking luxury for his own people and like reinterpreting it. And April was student of of Dan's and then she moved on to do her own thing um, all out of Brooklyn, all out of hip hop. And um, it's a very inspiring story. Because she was the only woman in, in this man's world. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So I'm super um, excited and uh, yeah, let's let's bring her in. Bad for you. Let's bring her in. Come on. Women's History Month. April Walker. <laughs> We usually do the podcast on Canal Street, but we're only doing it on Walker Street because a- Miss April Walker's here. Yeah. Hey. Right. <laughs> That's good vibes. <laughs> the street was named after you. Um, right? So <laughs> there, there's a lot of. I did a ton of research on you, of like stuff that's online. And I feel like you're not going into like the real April Walker story. It's very um, sort of like, if you know, you know, and if you don't know, you don't know, but uh, I really want to know everything there is to know about April Walker. First of all, you're, you have three sisters. Two. Two, two. You're one of three sisters. You have brothers? Mm-hmm. Oh, two you, brothers from my father's second marriage. And are you the oldest? I am. So uh, you you grew up in Cl- in uh, Clinton Hill. Right. Bed-Stuy and Clinton Hill. And that neighborhood is sort of like converges from all these other neighborhoods. Did you feel that that neighborhood sort of like encapsulated like so much culture? Yeah, it was just what you said. It was a convergence of like a, a intersection of a lot of neighborhoods, right? It was close to Fort Greene, but not really Bed-Stuy. And then it was just, it was close to Park Slope. It was close to all these places, but it was its own entity. And it was, I remember when we first moved there from Bed-Stuy, I remember it was such an upgrade from where I was, I was, I grew up on Madison between Nostrand and Marcy next to the old boys high school. Right. And in the seventies, that was a rough neighborhood. Um, had a lot of good times there, but we moved to Clinton Hill and I knew I was in a better neighborhood, but it was still not, 
it was still Brooklyn, you know, right. at that time. And then we lived a block from Fulton Street and a few blocks from Myrtle. So it was those dynamics, too. So it was it was interesting. It was and a so very interesting time. What was like a child, like a Brooklyn childhood back then? Like you guys were hanging out with your friends in the street. Like remember, like the everybody was kind of outside. Pump, back yeah, then. that was it. Was a diff- we didn't have these gadgets, the phones. So the, or you know, a lot of people didn't have air conditioning even, right? Oh, we didn't have any of that. You know, it was it was a melting pot. Brooklyn was a melting pot, but there were different neighborhoods for for culture, okay. so to speak. So in um, in Brooklyn, you have to think where I lived. People were there was a lot of graffiti. It was a lot of making your own fun. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody was outside, like you said, because we couldn't afford air conditioners. I don't know if they didn't have them, but we couldn't afford them in my neighborhood. Well, yeah, no, I don't. I think that it wasn't like a standard, mm-hmm. you know. And and I remember we would open the windows and we would be outside and we could stay outside to a certain point. And then we had to come inside and we could only play in front of the house. And your parents had to be able to look out the window and see you. Um, we played Scully and... Um, um, hopscotch and you know all the fun stuff that um we used to do like double dutch can you imagine these kids can't even be outside Johnny anymore Punk, right? right like they can't like all of that is sort of like gone lost. we used to um open up the johnny pumps when it was too hard and and right. take the can and take the the thing from the can and push it through so right, the water so. would just go through and that's how that's that was our pool you know so when you were like pushing 20, you started, you know, you graduated high school and then you went to work for like American Express. Right. right? To like be mm-hmm. serious. And, I was like, in college. And, and you I were in college. At, Where'd you go to college? I went to New Falls. And before I went to New Falls, I went to City College in Kingsborough. So I was jumping around. But right. I was, when I was in the city going to college, I went to American Express and worked for American Express. Right. And, but you had sort of a calling to fashion, right? Yeah, I was always in fashion. I didn't own it at that time. I didn't know that's what it would be. My father was in the music business. I was. Oh, your father was like a, a, a big musician and then later he was a manager? more on the management and the production side. And, and he managed a lot of jazz artists first. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he started working with R&B and hip-hop. He managed D-Train and jazz and Jay-Z and all these people he started working with. So by the time I was a teenager, I was already like... He had his own kind of style. Uh-huh. And my mom had her own kind of style. And they were both very fly, but very different and very expressive. So, so you I, grew up like with all of this like creativity, and mm-hmm. that was like the vibe. That in was the my home. canvas, you right, know. Right. And then on top of that, Brooklyn was a canvas, sure. And it was such a canvas. And so you met. I, you know, I was always uh, meshed together with so many creative people, my father's friends. So I think artists and. Um, sculptors and, and and we did the museums on the weekend and we were in he had us in acting classes and um and we had to take um dance and modern and track and dj classes and singing classes and you know this was a standard he had like one of you guys you're not going to be idle so that we were always introduced in around the arts that's the way to do it, Brad. Yeah, yeah man. That's Keep them busy. The, indeed, indeed. <laughs> Keep them out of trouble. Okay, so how 
how did you start? I know that like uh, Dapper Dan was like a big influence for you, but how did you actually start? You're like, this is cool. I can do this. I have my own ideas. Then what? Then we were in, I was still in college and I started literally, uh, I copied, I knew what a cutting table was. We couldn't afford one. Uh-huh. So we got a piece of wood. Um, I remember that New York Times used to have these um, Sunday liquidations. Uh-huh. And so I was already at Am- Amex. I had saved up for a year and I had passed the hat with family and friends. And I literally made, I, we bought a, a showcase, the glass showcase. Uh-huh. And we put that piece of wood over it. It became our cutting table in my home first. So you were actually tailoring. You were I cutting bought, and sewing. I, we were and- cutting and sewing and we actually borrowed a few of Dap's tailors along with our own, right. you know, that we didn't recreate the, you know, we just saw what worked. So we borrowed those spokes and created the wheel. Now, let me ask you, Dapper, like, where did that come from? Did somebody, like, approach Dan and say, like, here's my my Gucci bag, no. make this into a pocket? Like, how did this sort of... uh luxury appropriation start as even an idea i think that it was two things i think that uh what happened was i think dapper dan as he explains it it was literally his him seeing at that time they started wearing gucci and they started wearing louis vuitton and different um bags and as people would go crazy off of those bags he saw like, wow, I, th- there's a need for this. I can make a whole outfit out of this. And he was already into fashion. So that's, I think, how he started with that, with me. Um, and then it just took a life of its own, right? And with me, we were in Brooklyn and we didn't have anything like that. Right. Except for um, when I started, there was also Carl Williams, a.k.a. Carl Kanai. He had a little tailor shop in East Flatbush, my tailor shop was in Brooklyn uh, on the Clinton Hillside. And then there was another another tailor at that time named Miguel Navarro. He's not here anymore, but he was amazing, too. So there were three of us out of Brooklyn that were making our own original styles. I see. And we just saw that we were already ripping up jeans. We were um, manipulating things to make it our own because the music of hip hop was vibrant and alive and the spirit of entrepreneurship was kicking in but there was nothing in fashion nothing to speak to us and we found ourselves make taking things and making them our own so we said if it's not there why not create it right and the the hot brands um to sort of recreate as these more like luxury were not only like Gucci and LV, but there were Nike, right, and Bally. That was huge. I think I have like a weird custom Bally. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of. Yep, I had Bally. I did Bally. I did. Um, I, it was a bunch that I did at that time. MCM, it, uh-huh. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that was short lived, so I didn't want to have that trademark infringement problem. So we started right from the beginning making original styles. So I also designed from the beginning and became one of the staple uh, custom shops to go to for Easter Sunday or, you know, a gala event. I would make tuxedos and I would make gowns and I would make all these extra outfits um, that 
you know, can be seen now that people don't know about. I started from couture and then we also did velour sweatsuits and sportswear as well. So from start to finish, if somebody came in, they came in with an idea of what they want or a color that they want, you work with them and we had you guys sort of books. like create, talk, yeah, create we sketch the, it out. So how long would uh, like um, something take to make like a, at least like a week or two? Right? We would normally ask for a week or two. But, you know, the good thing about working with our tailors and they were already immersed in that business we had the ability to turn it over for 24 hours so that helped us when it came to reacting to videos and you know the music business was a lot different they never gave you ample time so it was it was very fast right we want this but we need it tomorrow and so we were able to react for that to that and that is one way we were able to have a leg up from the bigger corporations for sure, right? You they were like, right? That. You're able to, and like, we were the culture, so we were creating something new and then giving it to them for the video in 24 hours, which created product placement. So, do you think there still are these people that can sew like this anymore? That like, oh, these- sure. Five thousand and one flavors is still creating and making clothes they were one of the early settlers in that business and they're still around and there's some other people as well so can you can you also like tell me from like soup to nuts especially with the appropriation of of like the the bigger brands like what was the process were you actually painting on the leather or printing on the leather yourself or you were going somewhere to buy it like how what were the like the secrets back then and how to... Well, I think the appropriation was really also, let me just say this, because that's a funny word to me, but I think it was our way of <clears throat> saying, you want to shut us out and you don't want to be, us to be a part of right, this culture. Right, but we are We are following it. us around the stores. We couldn't buy. We didn't feel comfortable in those stores. They, they did not want us at those um, locations or even wearing that stuff. So... It was our way of making a statement to the world. But I think that what we did in the beginning, yeah, we started creating it. I Pearl Paints was my, I, I wasn't, I had a design team, like, and we were graphic artists and we made the actual, the the machines. I mean, the, the screen, screen. So you were print, screen printing. I was making all of that. Wow. And then after that, you know, um, I early on, like I said, I, I fizzed right out of that. And just started creating my own. Because were you? Because I wanted a legacy, and right. I saw you, myself right. as a real brand. Just, just, right. That 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 was a good marketing tool, but it wasn't who we were. But did you feel the heat coming on to you about? I it? saw the heat coming on to DAP. I you did, and I was like, okay, the writing's on the wall, and, and so we just. We're phasing it out very right. fast. And then you went to your own. Yeah, we were doing it from the beginning, but we leaned harder on our own versus, you know, playing that up. We played it down. And so when you sort of went your own way. Which from the beginning we were. What happened was there was a suit that was this denim suit called the Rough and Rugged suit. It was a bull denim, 14 ounce um, denim suit and what we were listening to was our customers so our customers would come in the store and say we need more leg room lower the crotch pop we need it we need lower cr- I know the 
men couldn't even fit their hands in their pockets at the I time. I did. I read all about you, <laughs> you lengthening know, like, the like, pocket bag yeah, so you like can really... It, we made it seven to nine inches. We did the um, bootleg cut. Like, we were one of the first to bring the... Um, you Where people would constantly say, men would constantly want their Timberland boot, the pant to either bottom to go over the Timberland boot or fit right into it. So... We made these little adjustments, and what we ended up with was this rough and rugged suit. That was kind of like, imagine workwear meets fashion. And it was I this very this. durable uh, I remember this denim jacket and this fashion. pant, and it just caught on. And, and that became something that the customers would ask me for over and over and over, and also the artists, like EPMD, right. Run DMC, so that is what right I they're think wearing really all your a, stuff and they down with yeah. the king right mm-hmm. like, down with the king crossover right um, a lot of def jam comedy all of that stuff so it really helped us um pink cookies how why did you decide to close the shop we got robbed on christmas eve and they really um it was it was really a, a really scary so situation traumatic. it was very traumatic and um at that point Shinehead, Shaggy, Biggie, Audio 2 had come in the store, and that was our viral. They were word of mouth at that time, but they two people were telling two friends. So we were building a strong clientele. So we thought at that point it would be better to just go back to the studio and to start um, making it by appointment only. Right. And we would know who it was and all of those things and make it a select clientele. So, and then when did you decide to sort of... Move from like customs into actual uh, like manufactured garments. When did you launch Walker Wear? Like eighty nine ninety was when we did our um, our rough and rugged suit. Mm-hmm. But I think it was around that same time that we were creating the logo Walker Wear and the WW. And it was from that rough and rugged suit, really being inspired by them asking and seeing the same thing over and over. And we were doing custom, but we were like, uh, Jam Master J was one of the first people I remember saying, you need to do your own line. And I started styling Run DMC around this time. I met Run DMC at Kilimanjaro's. If you guys don't know Kilimanjaro's, it was this club in Manhattan that everybody would hang out at. And, and I, I had on a sequence gown that I made and... um they didn't believe I made it. And the next day they called and said, we have a video next week. Can you style it? And I said, sure. I was overwhelmed, but I did. And, and it worked out. And that's how I started working with them. And yeah. So. But I mean, you were really like the go-to. I became the Brooklyn, go-to for, in, in for, Brooklyn. For everyone, word of mouth was like, right. you got to go check out April right. Walker. Now, when you started Walker, you had a partner, Nicole Walker. Nicole wasn't my partner, ah. but she was like my partner. She was the glue. Um, she ran the custom for me, and she was down with me. But she was she. Everybody might have thought that because oh. we had the same last name. Interesting. She's yes, family. yes, yes. Somebody told me that yeah. the WW was for Nicole and April. Oh, right. Ah. That's interesting. Interesting. Well, now we're clearing up um, clearing up facts, myths. Um, who made the WW logo? So the WW uh, and the Walkerware were made by two great graphic artists. One was Jabril, and he was in Brooklyn. He went to Pratt, and one was made by Herb. Herb was from Harlem, 
and her work with me as well. So they both um, work hand in hand, and that's how we got those logos together. But don't you find it, it's a little odd, right, that Carl Kanai, somebody who you... um you know, came up with who had his own shop, kind of copied your logo a little bit with the double K's? Mm, I don't know. I don't think we, I think they're very different. So that's interesting. That's why fashion's like art. I guess everybody sees it differently. They see it, they see it differently. Um, so, I mean, for me, when I think of Walker wear, I think of like Naughty by Nature with that same logo mm-hmm. by the same guy, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. the same. I was their stylist yeah, as well. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you can tell. <laughs> um, and you know, all like I know you made like custom outfits for Mike Tyson. Um, you worked with Aaliyah. Biggie was putting stuff on layaway mm-hmm. back in the day. Now, did you know how much different like fashion relationships are now yeah. with artists? Right, like you're like begging for them to wear. You know what I mean? These yeah, brands, absolutely. right? They're like here. This let's send you a box, world. right? I'm always like, these guys got a big, <laughs> 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 right? Um, but. You know, the list goes on and on for like all of all of sort of like the most a, a lot of the most early iconic looks really come from. Oh, sounds Sorry. like peeping. No, do it Sorry. again. No, pour, it pour it up. Pour it up. Okay, guys, it's water. Listen, I'm everybody. We're, she's not peeing. She's just <laughs> I'm trying dehydrated. to stay hydrated. No. Indeed, indeed. Um, and you know, being a stylist back then. That was, it was, there weren't a lot of them. They were very exclusive. It was early on. It was, it was early on. And, and I really think that it's very difficult to dress musicians because they have their own opinion. I mean, I can't even imagine how much psychological. It's a lot. You know, um, psychological warfare you had to sort of like to make the director happy and to make the artist happy I mean it was a triangle we never you know yeah you didn't need a stylist Brad was in Brad was in a band we used to hire friends and just get just to get them paid and then we go pick our own clothes yeah I used to make clothes for Eleanor and spray paint her hurl her boots and stuff like that who needs a stylist you know what I mean when you have like but I think if you know the artists, those are the stylists that I think were able to to kind of get it and help and help as opposed to like that, right. But I feel like April's on imprint on early hip hop like set um, all of this sort of like workwear as fashion right. that is sort of what people Culture are wearing now. today, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And also, sort of bringing. The whole idea of of this being bigger than just the music, Um, you know, and like this whole lifestyle. lifestyle, Right. right. It's lifestyle. Right. And I think from the beginning we were lifestyle and that was the magic timing as well. But I think that we truly were lifestyle. Like we loved hip hop. We breathed it. We knew it. Part of it. The styling, what you said is exactly right. I think that what helped us a lot is we understood the artists. Yeah. And we asked to listen to their music. We 
found out where they hung out. We wanted to see what was in their closet. We made sure that we really felt it and understood them. We wanted to know where they shop. Like, what's their life like? You know what I mean? So that we could dig into that before we even consider what we were going to paint in terms of that picture. And then we like to stretch artists but not take them out of who they are. Right. Because I really believe if you put something on and you're really not comfortable, that's going to translate when it comes to film or photos. So we wanted them to feel good about it and be who they are but just really amplify that messaging of who they already are and make them fly you know that was our thing and i mean i remember a few big artists that we turned down that were like huge tell us tell us tell us <laughs> um i remember at one point and this is nothing against the artist because the artist was amazing but it was pm dawn like i remember um Hype Williams did it. Like, I don't have that much fabric to make outfits for this guy. That was humongous. You have to think, that was definitely not it because we made clothes for Shaq, but it was just that we were making clothes at that time for Tupac, Naughty by Nature, Biggie, you know. um, It was too soft. It was so soft that from a marketing brand alignment, do you remember when KRS punched that guy? We just felt, yeah, I remember. We were just like, if we do career. this, you know, we're going to jeopardize all the artists we already work with. Right. So that was more of our thinking on that. Um, That's bold. Yeah. It's good to be able to say no, huh? It's it's necessary sometimes. I mean, I think I think it's it's an important um it's an important skill to learn, right? Yeah. To to be able to like uh, turn stuff down. So where were you hanging out back in the day? Tell us about um, which part, like New what York time? City, New York City. What year? When you when you were coming up as a as a young woman, kid. as a kid, as a woman in business, like what was New York City like for you? New York City was vibrant. It was alive. It was electric in the 80s, in the early 90s. It was just this um, amazing time. Like um, uh, coming up, I remember I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to get the club scene early with my father. So I was underage, but I was able to get in Copacabana. You like to hear I'm with my dad. Yeah. (laughs) Copacabana, um, you know, Zanzibar. Before that, I before that I was sneaking it, you know, out like to the Fever, to Roxy, right. to you know all of these clubs. So that gave me my backdrop early on. Latin quarters, all those spots, and then Broadway Internationals, Bonds, all those spots. And then by the time I was, um, you know, now in fashion, I was still taking that. But now it was like the building, and it was. Um, it was all of these other places like Gramercy. It was just wherever hip hop was, we were there and we were a part of it. And we were stepping to these artists like you need to get up in these clothes, you know, and we were marketing or how can we build together? Well, how can we? Oh, you're doing a tour. We could do the tour clothes, you know. Um, you know, we lived in Def Jam offices. We were there just like hunting all the time like to find out who who had next and i think that um because artists aren't who they are now and everybody was building and coming up together it was very easy it was a tribe like your energy feeds right. energy For sure and it was a tribe it didn't matter that we were fashion they just did music but we were all artists so we respected each other like sure. how can we get this together you know figure it out 
you're hanging out in clubs, you're doing customs, you launch walkerware. You then are you trying to get like walkerware into like Macy's and like right? How oh, did that, that go? So terrible. So no, I think what happened then was we get this, we get walkerware. We had a line. It was no more than like. 10 pieces total, right? It was a rough and rugged suit. We had a crew neck, a t-shirt, some snapbacks. The jersey, the infamous jersey. The infamous jersey that came after the initial one, though. The initial line was just like I said, and we basically invited 10 buyers. We, We heard about the trade shows. We were very mortified by that. Because we were like, oh, my God, what What if nobody buys? We had this. It was like to buy a booth was a few thousand. So we instead at that time, there was a hotel called the Flat Hotel we knew about. Right. And that was uptown. And it was near the Jacob Javits, not too far. Okay. And they had the Namsby show, which was this men's show that was coming if it was a trade show, guys, you go there to buy. All the buyers would come to buy for the next season. So we invited Dr. J's. At that time, there was a store called Merry Go Round oh, that yeah. had like a few thousand doors. We invited um, Coda. Remember those ads in the paper? Remember those? We yeah, were in yeah, some yeah, of them. Yeah, they were cute. <laughs> yeah. And we just basically, Simon's in Brownsville, that was like the store. If you were in New York, you wanted to go there to shop because it was just a diamond in the rough that all the um, music artists and um, whoever, who's if anybody was somebody they knew about Simon's, this is late 80s. And we found out about 10 stores. My my sisters were now living in Pittsburgh. So there was a store called Herman Stylegate that all the Steelers and the ballers would go to. So we invited them to. They all came and they bought at that show. And that was the beginning of Walk Aware. And it was also my beginning to understand business because I thought I could just take those purchase orders and they were good as gold and I could get them factored and I was in business right. but I wasn't in business for three three years it were all kinds of roadblocks to start off so that was my beginning of so where did you want to manufacture stuff like did you we manufactured do here and overseas so right. we dealt with China we dealt here um, and we had a lot of stuff domestically in Los Angeles mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that is gone now that whole it's sort coming of- back Good. It's coming back now. I was out there. Yeah, they've, they've got a movement Because they coming. built their own little garment community, mm-hmm. and it was, it was yep. thriving for it a second. It was thriving in the 90s. And and then it, it went away disappeared, of, and then it came back right, in the 2000s with the American mm-hmm, Apparel, mm-hmm, and then it disappeared mm-hmm, again. And, and now it's on its... It's mm-hmm. on its way back? Somewhere. I don't know if it will ever be back what it was, but it is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. So what what did you do with all of, you know, now you have all these orders you have people not wanting to produce your stuff right. They want you to pay for the whole thing before you even start mm-hmm. like production. You're like, how can I do that? I right, need what's 30 the point? Day net. Right, like, uh-huh. So then what happened? 
So we go back and we went back to the magic show now. The magic show was a show that happened twice a year in Las Vegas, a season ahead to buy for the next season. This is where all the department stores, your your, your overseas uh, distributors would come. Everybody went to magic. It was a huge show, so show. And we showed at Bally's. And we rented a suite there. And this time we had Jam Master Jay come and help us sell the line. Aww. So um, it was my whole staff. We were on a shoestring budget. But we sold the line again. And that time we delivered ourselves. So were you thinking, maybe I need a partner, somebody who Oh, had- I was always looking for a partner. And I had a few licensing deals that went awry. But um, yeah, that, at that show, that gave us more momentum and we got a call from cross colors and then that was the next person we were talking to and we started uh we put together a line with them in la and we went to the magic show and at that magic show that was the first magic i think we all i don't know if that was their first but it was my first and it was myself carl Kanai, and cross colors we had a little room and we built a jail cell because they didn't have space for us on the floor they didn't know where to put us at that time and so we made this big jail cell and we made the flyers come serve your sentence. And we invited <laughs> all the, these uh, designers to come. I mean, all these buyers. And they all came and we wrote like two million a piece at that show. Wow. And then they put us on the floor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then magic became and, and that became show. And like then it became wild. streetwear. Right, right, right. At, at, um I mean, it's it's wild how fashion sort of didn't, know what to do with like urban you know i'm making just hip-hop period right Right, like it was just that truck was coming full speed ahead and so who oh if if you three are the uh are the brands like where is like troop and right right right. you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like okay were they they weren't around they all got on the floor eventually i remember the next show fat farm was there um, and you're like one of the original Fast Farm designers, right? No, I never designed for Fat Farm. I was very cool with Russell, and I was the vice president there at one time, but I never designed. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I was told that you and Say were designing the no. first uh, Say, Fat Farm. Say, no, no, that wasn't me. Say, Say might have been a part of it, but Kevin Wong was one of the first as, as well. Kevin was now for um, a long time. Aliasha oh, was the Ali partner. Aliasha yep, yep, yep. was a partner there, and he's an amazing designer. So, they, he's the first. Ah, oh, interesting. Um, so now Walkerware is a full fledged brand. You're you're writing two million dollars of orders in Las Vegas. You're manufacturing uh, internationally and domestically. You're in all of these like very specialized boutiques that really get it and they really understand their customer. And then what? After that, we um, started selling and we left Cross Colors because we couldn't ink the deal that we verbally were talking about. Right. And so it ended up being a blessing in disguise because maybe like six months later they ended up folding. And we went on and we did a deal with USA Classics. USA Classics was a division of a public company called Orbitz, which was in the Empire State Building. 
And from the outside in, I did my homework. The deal looked great. It was a licensing deal. At that time, when I went to talk to them, they had Everlast, Danskin, Bum Equipment, Fat Farm, and some other notable names. And so we you're like, just put me into the roster. We're like, oh, this is a great group. I get it. And it was an amazing deal. So we went back and forth and we started, we built up and we sold another few million in orders and we started producing it. And I remember, I think the day I signed, I got on a plane because I was grinding and I went to celebrate and I get there and there's, and and I went away on a vacation. When I get there, there was a a fax waiting for me. Remember faxes? Oh yeah, I (laughs) do. And it said that, um, they said that USA Classics was was folding and this was like the day I saw it and I and I got back on a plane and I came back and it was mayhem everybody was like trying to grab their stuff because what happened was so this to see, know the backstory to it there was the CEO at the time was old and they wanted him to step down and he refused to step down so they decided well we'll fold the whole company just to get him out? To get him out, like, because he wouldn't. But, I'm telling at you. At the expense of all of men us. Men in business, just it was to, some like, bullshit. wrangle some power, they love to. And so we were all, we were all in that. So everybody was in there trying to grab their samples, trying to grab their computers. And there was FedEx downstairs. I remember we literally, like, shipped out five computers and all our samples, like, that day. Because everything was going to, they were going to bankrupt the, the Right, and they thing. were going to sell, sell off all the assets. So we wanted all of our stuff. So we were able to get that. And then I went over to G3. And G3 was okay. a, a company. If you don't know G3, it's huge. It has now like Kohan, Jessica right. Simpson, and Carl Banks was my friend. And he was the one like, you should come over here. And so that was the beginning of that licensing deal. Um, do you like licensing? No, at that time, I, I don't like it right now. In my life, I had too many licensing hiccups, and I've learned so much about the business. That is the good part. Like I feel like licensing is so great. Like the idea it, of it sounds the idea so great. It's good, and licensing can be good, but you need to really find that magic because everyone will shake your hand and tell you everything, just like in a partnership. Like, oh yeah, we get it. It's perfect, but. Unless it's a numbers game for most of them. So they they will go ahead and whore your stuff out if you don't really if you don't really know them. Yeah, I mean there are ways. I know all about the, the agreements, the deals, the contracts now. I'm I have it inside out. But even with that, it's a dirty game unless you find good people that really wanna grow and, and be long term. Well why do you think that fashion is filled with all these snakes and copycats? I think and- it's not much different than music and, and um I think the entertainment industry is like that, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, but you don't think fashion's... I think fashion's worse. Fashion is worse. Because... Fashion is grimy. I think they, it's they, the they, roughest. It, people don't know that. To me, it's the roughest out of all of them. Like, I mean, because but pe- people also just... And women, you would think that it would be easier, but it's like it's a men's business and women are in it so it's even harder i think that was like one of the hard things for me being a woman in menswear and i was the first 
and I was very strong in knowing my value and that was always a tug of war in that business you know and I was easily defined as a bitch because I was like oh no I'm not doing that right because like a like, tough a tough uh, business woman is a bitch just wanting she, a right, fair right, deal right. is a bitch like a problem she's problematic you know when I would see men get offered the same thing and it would be like fine for them it's so it's so strange Men also that came like a business me. that caters to women specifically yeah, like, yeah that's like, why it's, not, it's so like, weird it is it is it so weird it used to blow my mind I used to see it I'm paying again the time. it was extremely there is just such sexist. a disregard for women's value when it comes to actual business yeah, yeah. like it was yeah, their yeah. business right to right. so the women doing the business and these motherfuckers doing the manufacturing are like the right. biggest sexists I ever that's met that's what it was yeah his wife had one, uh, like the first uh, female skatewear brand. Wow. What was the Rookie. name of the brand? Okay. From the that. from the 90s. That's dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, they, so you know all about it. Oh, yeah. They they ended up going bankrupt. Such a sexist. With, I mean, they went they went under with a, with a distributor going bankrupt on them, too. But. Ruined them. And the that, that wasn't unheard of in that time, yeah. too. They did that a lot. They, I mean, I I remember when I signed a deal with Bravado, mm-hmm. and then they called me two days later to say that they were, you know, seven million in the hole and they can't put on any new business. And I wasn't on vacation, but I was like almost there. Like I was like, mm-hmm. Come yeah, on, let's, go, right. let's fucking go. We got the deal. And then, oh, you know, I just also want everyone to know that it's really hard. It's really hard to get these deals yeah. and it's really hard to find a partner that ha- shares the same vision as you right. that understands quality, right? They're not like just trying to be like exploitive and make money off you. And it's even harder when you're a woman. Yeah. And you come in this position of power and men other men respect you, and then these guys don't, and you're just like, yeah. what's going Makes on no here? Sense at right, all. right. They're making like, money off you, and they don't have any respect. It's, it's, it blew my mind. I didn't, I couldn't fathom it. I, I mean, it. it's it's crazy. Um, so, are you, at, when are you like, fuck this? Like, I'm not going to do this anymore, or like in the year '99. Um, '98 or '99, I knew I was almost like done. Because I saw the industry becomes something like you got to remember. I started when there was no industry. There was no industry. It was you just a passion. We were just created right. what what we love to do, right? And it came from me and my friends making stuff to being this big business to being like. By the time I stopped, I had a showroom in. I had a place in L.A., a showroom. I had a place in L.A. because we were manufacturing a lot in L.A. Right. I had a place here. I had a 1466 Broadway address with the showroom. I had a place in Las Vegas. I was on Mike Tyson's merchandising and, and, and doing some work with him. And it was just, it became this, like, to the rest of the world, they were like, oh, congratulations to myself. I was watching buyers become groupies because now everyone was getting in the business I had no respect for fashion it was just about pimping the game and about um putting a logo out there and smacking it on something and it just diluted the whole industry and there is only but so much real estate space in every store so these buyers now started knocking out real designers that built up that business to give you know um 
Snoop Dogg or Outkast I was going to say or, it was all or, this or record Cisco or you know and I'm not knocking businesses. them because I get their point of view right. of saying like we built up all these brands let's make our own that makes sense but if you're going to go in and go in it like Puff did with Sean John where you really get real fashion people to help you build a real company that people will respect and take it serious that's all and they didn't really take it serious they were in it to like milk it get out some of them um and it showed because it took the industry like this and this and so as a result it turned the world upside down and at the same time um everybody was a part of that like so i'm not putting it on artists i'm not putting it on anything i'm putting it on um hip-hop became oversaturated and that spilled over into fashion and it just became about dollars. And anytime I think there's any fly form of self-expression in the arts, that corporate America will find a way to dilute it, twist it, and you can see very little trace of it left. And I was at the point where I was like, I'm out. Well, look at this. All these big brands stole streetwear from us. They stole yeah. sneaker culture from us. They um, That's what I'm saying. It's they, the same they real- thing. Right. Um I also want to talk about some of your uh, early influences. I read a scanned article that looked like it was must be 20 years old, and it was just so awesome about this woman, Nelda, from your neighborhood mm-hmm. that was sort of like your style icon. She was. She Nelda is um, and was such an inspiration to me growing up. She is not with us anymore, but she was she lived on the corner of my block and Nelda she I grew up watching her. She was a fashion forward trendsetter that was in the streets. Um, I remember she was the first person I saw with colored hair. She was the first person I saw with Gloria Vanderbilt's shoes. I don't think I ever saw them again. After Were that. they have swans on them? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. They were really cute. <laughs> Yellow. I remember them like it was yesterday. She, But she always like full-length furs and, you know, Dapper Dan. And like she did all of that way before I saw anybody else with it. So um, she was very inspirational growing up. And, and, I, and I think Little Kim lived in that neighborhood. We all were very inspired right. by her. And then also Willie Smith, I read that you, Another you know, they're, tr- they're trying desperately yeah, to going, create this archive. It's already, uh, there's an exhibit you got to go to. at the Yeah, Cooper, no, I gave yeah. some stuff because oh, I did? collect Willie. Okay, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm excited I'm going to the exhibit, but I've been talking to them too as well about him. He was definitely an inspiration. Loved him. Well, it's interesting to me also Willie Ware. Willie Ware mm-hmm. hired Lee and Zephyr, Revolt and Dondi, I think, to like spray paint tags on like for his first fashion show. Lee Kinonis? Yeah. And I, I believe I believe it was wow. Lee. Um I know for sure it was Zephyr and a few others. Um but I'm trying to like get that those uh the exhibitors in to touch with that. these guys to find this stuff because um that was sort of you know, the beginning where people are really starting to notice graffiti being of value. And I'm going to find like- a um, Willie Smith suit. I have a, I don't have it anymore, but I have a picture of me in L.A. when I first went out to L.A. And it's I'm wearing a Willie Smith suit and it's in front of this artist's gallery. I want to try to find that. I loved him. Well, the, don't you think it's strange that there are, um, you know... 
black designers are really not given like the same opportunities like Stephen Burroughs. Um, Baron Lawrence, Patrick, right? Yeah, Patrick Kelly, right, a lot. Um, and and now, Robinson. of course, we see just like a huge influx. At uh, but it's still not balanced. It's it's not balanced, and um, a, you know these this culture has been giving fashion. Uh, it's a culture that gives, period. And, and, and just gets, you know, like it's – but I think things are really changing. And the way everyday people dress is so influenced by hip-hop and by the beginnings right. of hip-hop sort of, um, you know, throwing – you know, t- not tailoring, but like just like very like uptight fashion away for comfort, making something every day into something special. Like that's what hip hop has really like taught us as mm-hmm. as a culture with fashion that, you know, like an everyday item like a pair of jeans or sneaker can be right. just as fly as, mm-hmm. as something you're buying in, you know, like the chicest boutique in the right. land. And that, you know, you make style yourself, you know. And, Absolutely. Um, I feel like we owe a lot of that to you and your um, vision that you had so early on. Thank you. So let's go back. You... You're just over this, right? Mm-hmm. Like now there's like a million brands. Everybody's going for the same dollars. Everybody's going for the same spot on, like in the stores. And you're over it because it's a 24-hour day job, seven days a week. You don't get to take a break. You're the boss. They want answers. Everybody's looking at you. You don't want to do it anymore. Now what? In my hiatus, so while I'm figuring that out, that's where I jumped, chipped, and I went – to work with um I did two things so the first thing I did was um work with Russell on that on at, at the height of fat fashions with all the licensing okay. but I was the VP there so I worked with him for a while and then I saw women's as a big opportunity and I went with Ann one and built this division called Dimes okay and then I just in 2001 they tried to flip the tables on me and, and wanted walkerware they wanted men. So it was one of those things where they kind of like try to dangle, carry, like we get it with women's, but they had their motives for walk away the whole time. I didn't want to do walk away. I, I owned it, but I was on the shelf and I didn't even want to see that. Right. That you weren't time. ready to there. like dredge that yeah. up. Right. So I, I stopped and I picked up a camera because I saw the beginning of the incoming. Okay. I got my Lisa Leone and some other um, film friends. Um, Ishmael Butler from Diggable. He went to NYU for film. And when we went to BNH, we bought a camera and we started documenting everything. I went to Magic. I went to all this. So I have over 100 hours of footage of um, this period. I started interviewing like Dame Dash and Russell and all these people about hip hop fashion and where they were and what it felt like and all these different things. So I just started archiving all of that. Wow. Um, and then I knew I didn't want I didn't want to go in fashion, but I didn't want to be bored and knew I had to do something. So I, I got a, I, I bought a place. I bought some real estate, and I also um, 
I opened a pet shop. I saw my gentrification was happening in my neighborhood in a big way. And we became the most unindated zip code in the country with dogs. Wow. So I was like, okay, I'm going to open a pet shop. And I opened the Walker Pet Shop. Amazing. It was right next to Havana Outpost. You do custom leathers. We were doing all of that. We were like, we were, it was such a dope store. And uh, it was good. I had the lease on that. But I think like I realized well, you must love retail in some way. Like, to, like no, did, like... that's when I realized I didn't. <laughs> like, it, I'm gonna be honest. Like, it was one of those romantic things in your head where you uh, see it, and I thought I'd be able to step into it, build out this amazing thing, and it was. It was beautiful, and I saw it. I wanted to service high end boutique, like. Mm-hmm. Fashion, natural, all natural food, all natural treats. We even made our own treats. We even made our own dog food. We started selling other stores and all of this stuff. And then um, I just realized I had to be there in order for it to work. And I always saw like I would be able to put a staff in there and step away. And that wasn't real. Not with a boutique mama and papa. I feel like you can never start yeah. some business with just like one toe in the in the pool like you yeah, really no, have to I'm, jump I'm coming in. to that realization yeah but, but the but idea right the like idea. it would just run itself like it's easy well but everybody wants to everybody wants to see April to Walker it. They they're like in. oh right. she and so I was like I couldn't see myself doing that like that would be like shooting two feet right now shoot me in the knees shoot me <laughs> like uh, so I picked I started that's when I started ghostwriting I started a walker group okay a creative consulting agency and I started it while I still had the shop and uh, my I think my first maybe my first thing was Machiavelli Tupac's um, sister and mother wanted to do a line called Machiavelli and they were doing it with um the uh, alliance uh, who was backing Fubu at the time, and um, and and there, and think Steve Arnold, which was their partner. And anyway, I ended up being a ghostwriter for that project, and it just one thing led to another. I started dealing with a lot of um, other design groups and and um, and companies, and I did a lot of consulting for like electronics and footwear accessories licensing deals design marketing dreamworks you know and so it just got me to um having that creative bug that you suppress you know what i mean and then you're like okay i kept getting frustrated the money was great but i was also like if i had my own brand if i had my grown so what happened was i started on social media and once i got on facebook i started getting a lot of people saying Thank you for what you've done and this and that from other parts of the world, you know, and and that's when you realize, wow, yeah, I've had an impact. Wow, you know what I mean. And I was like, and I missed being creative, and I was like, this is a perfect time. You don't need that pressure. You don't have to sell to the stores if you want to. You know, just come back because I still was creative, like in my head, and I wanted to get with young people. Because what I the other thing I saw at that time was the disconnect happening with hip hop, meaning like um, the history and now. Right. And the um, see the difference is we revered our predecessors and right. people who no, came, these who kids don't out. care. Yeah, they don't and care. I'm like, so how am I going to make a difference? And I felt like I could bridge the gap with fashion without it being preachy to show them and tell our stories. So that was part of it. And then wanting reverse mentorship, meaning like, I don't want to be a dinosaur. So I want to know the way they think, what they're thinking. So at least 
I'm I'm in the know whether I agree with all of it or not. So you know, you, you wanted to be mentored by the young people absolutely. so that you as could well. like sort of like get reverse in. mentorship. So it's a give and take. Okay. You know what I mean on that creative energy and understanding. Like, mm, okay, that's interesting. You know what I mean. And so you relaunched Walkwear. Yep, and it was a perfect time because it was online. You know, whether you make one piece or a hundred pieces or a thousand, that's on you. And you don't have to play by the rules. I never did, so that was easy. You know, so it that was that's how we started. Amazing. And um if people wanna follow you on social media, they can. They absolutely can at I am April Walker or at Walkaware. And let me just say this, this is women's history month, so I have to share that there's a great exhibit going on at the Port Authority bus terminal. It's called Women in Streetwear, and it tells the story of some amazing women in streetwear, and you can see it, and it's it's pretty dope. You should definitely check it out. I have got the to get over March. there like ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like there's so many voices talking about early streetwear and they're not women's voices and um you know it's interesting because when i was coming up and i i started my brand like i guess i did a couple things in like 1997 and then i didn't really launch until like 2002 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you would have thought I was the only chick in town. Nobody wants to tell you mm-hmm. about other women mm-hmm. and how important they were. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like you're being tokenized at the moment, right? Like, oh, oh yeah, we have this chick too. Like, right. let's just like throw her in there. Like, it's Absolutely. a novel. It's like a novel thing. Like, ooh, you know what I mean? But um, I feel like. Women are have always been sort of the backbone of fashion for men and for women, and um, they're not. There's like this weird thing. I guess it started from like couture. Oh, April has one of her bags says the future bin female. Uh, <laughs> to your point. <laughs> Except for, like, it hasn't nice. been. Like, sadly, like, where's the, the world, fucking money? Where's the goddamn right. fucking money? <laughs> right. But you know what I mean? But, like, women have always kind of been in these, like, foundational roles and then sort of, like, stepped over, pushed aside, not spoken about. And um, it's a goddamn shame. And let's make sure. We're that, taking our power, though. Yeah. We're we really, like, letting our power shine now. So it's a good time. Um... Anyway, I'm so excited to find out everything about April Walker, about everything about Walker Wear. Um, Can I give two shameless plugs? Yeah, yeah, please do. The first one is um, I have a book that talks about the whole journey and just drops jewels from my failure to some of the success to um, Reggie Osei's story and a lot of other people that um, Combat Jack, if you don't know him, he was a good friend. Um, but yeah, people have shared in this book. It's called Walker Gems. Get your ass off the couch. Nice. And it's available on Amazon on my website at Walkerware on Barnes and Nobles. You can catch that. Um, 
and as well there's a there's a story we talk about the journey and culture creators and shifters on women not getting their just due there's a a film coming out by Lisa Cortez and Farah X and the crew was 90% all women and it was a great docu- documentary done about all of what we're talking about it's um features Misa Hilton, uh-huh. and then I'm in it, Dapper Dan, Kirby, um, and it's called The Remix Hip Hop Times Fashion, and that will be dropping soon, so I think everyone would enjoy that as well. I do too, and I really think that, um, you know, we're fast approaching, you know, hip hop's 50th year, um, and it's, you know, being looked at historically as so important, as so American, um, also as so fucking New York, you know, and you should be really proud of all the work you've done. Thank and you. And really putting it down for us girls. Thank you. For real. Thank and you. for fashion and for all you fucking dudes, <laughs> too. We out here. Shout, yeah, we out shout here. out to April Walker. I mean, for real, for real. One more thing. I had to call my boy, who's like Mr. Brooklyn. And I said, I'm interviewing April Walker. Give me give me some shit. And uh, Barb Brown Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> he was like, oh, that's my girl, April Walker. Right, ask her this, ask her that. Uh-huh. So that's how Bar I had like family. that. I had a little insight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's family mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Thank you, Barr, for all of your uh, your your producer credit on this uh, episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for joining you. us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Amazing. She's so Amazing. great. She is so great. That's I a mean, perfect guest. Somebody who, like, somebody who has made a huge impact and yet has definitely not been celebrated as much as they should. I mean, how is April Walker not a household name? Especially with all these other brands. She probably is with, with all those... With all A-listers the, that she worked yeah, with. Yeah, with all, with all the A-listers <laughs> and, and all of her competitors, obviously. But yeah. not with, like, the general public. It's sort of um, a, a real shame. She needs a logo on those albums that she... Right, and, and, like, a, a byline, right? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, in, the, in the album credits. For I real. mean, she really sort of uh, set this like visual story of what New York hip hop was right. with her styling. I like it the most integral part time, I would think when it really just became the dominant. Like, yeah. Culturally but, and, and musically both. I mean, but also like a hats, you know, like hats off to like the working man wearing like workwear type of stuff. And, um, you know, making something, you know, regular, like super fresh, right. you know, like jeans and, right. and uh, you know, typical um, clothing, uh, you know, just making it have her own like special um, spin. But I want to find out where she takes her classes. And <laughs> do you think I could like be a student? Do you think like. Sure. You look like. I look young, you right? Look like a student. <laughs> You're always a student of I'm a, life. I'm, I am a student of life. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I'm really, um, 
I, I, I think it's very strange that people aren't talking about April Walker more, and they, and they should be. And they should be getting some of that Walker wear. And then it's back. They need to get that Walker wear while, while, uh, while the iron is hot because it looks like Miss April Walker could change her mi- mind at any <laughs> moment and just pull the plug and be like, sorry, I'm done. Um, but, you know, kudos to all the women that have really kind of put stuff down and been these, like, forces of culture without getting the due that they deserve. And I got to say, she's pretty positive, considering. She, and, and she's, um, you know, a teacher that, like, teaches young designers. And also, I also really love, like, the whole idea of, like, reverse mentorship. <laughs> because I myself love to learn from the from the young people. You like to learn from I like to get in there and from your unpaid interns. Shout out to all <laughs> first of all, I keep them fed and dressed, okay? And <laughs> Close to the breast, oh, okay? And that, right, I will forever be reading all your contracts, and you know I do. I still do. I still read every last one of my old interns or assistants like contracts whenever they have to like sign a lease or oh, start a job. Best. It's the best school you could go to, the school of claw. The school of claw. Come on. You'll always be alumni. And in, in indeed, indeed. Um just don't, you know. Don't call the bursar's office. No one's there. <laughs> Anyhow, shout out to our our peeps at Acast. Yeah, Tim, Steph, Betsy, Betsy. and making it work. Brad is fully in motion with going off track. Go to goingofftrack.com. Going off track. Soundwag. He's he is Instagramming day after day as as uh, at at Soundwag. Yes, and at going off track. And at going off track. Oh, I gotta follow that. Mm, yeah, you do. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know where I am, everybody. And uh, we changed our Instagram at at uh, Clunk, who are now Club Club Worldwide. Obviously, <laughs> join the club. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye. <laughs>